and, and we're going to see, I think, a sea change in the way companies in the uniform industry and elsewhere think about ethical labor practices, sustainability, transparency, and traceability. The Uniformer. Insights and interviews into the people and companies that drive the markets for uniforms, image apparel, and public safety equipment. The Uniformer is a production of the North American Association of Uniform Manufacturers and Distributors, the NAUMD. Welcome to The Uniformer. This is Rick Levine from the NAUMD, and I'm excited today to be talking with Ed Gribben. And uh, Ed is... Oh, Ed is uh, just about spearheading um, all of the associations that we could possibly think of, and I'll let him go through some of the acronyms for us in a second. But welcome to the podcast, Ed. Thanks, Rick. It's uh, great to be here and great to be back with NAUMD. Uh, I was a, a member a long time ago when I was in the uniform industry, and I've gotten much more involved with NAUMD members uh, just recently in some of my consulting projects. So it's, it's great to be back. I know you started at Angelica, and I'm going to ask you about that uh, a little later because there's a lot of folks in the industry who have uh, wonderful memories of, <laughs> of of Angelica and their time. And uh, but but so you operate right now as a strategic uh, group, um, uh, namesaked after you know, Ed uh, Gribben himself. And, uh, and, and so talk to us about what that means to be a strategic advisor at this point. About three years ago, pushing four years ago, uh, I decided to kind of uh, leave the corporate world. And I wanted to do more intimate boutique type projects uh, with smaller companies. For the 12 years before that, I was running a company called Alvinon, which was the literally the global sizing and fit um, expert consultancy and worked with every major brand and retailer you can imagine around the world. And I decided I wanted to do smaller, more intimate projects with uh, up and coming companies. So I started working with some startups, helping them with growth strategy, supply chain strategy and product development strategy. So that's basically what Gribben Strategic is. And I've taken on relatively few clients, some uh, projects are very specific timeline projects ba project based or they are with a specific end goal in mind and others are just advisory situations where I sit on an advisory panel uh, in, in the case of two companies that I'm uh, heavily involved with right now I'm a strategic advisor and am working almost literally full-time with both uh, situations and both interestingly, uh, are related to the uniform industry. You know, you're, you're, you're living the dream, Ed, right? You have this decades of experience uh, in the uniform space and in the sizing space. And we're going to talk about 3D Look, who is a current NAUMD member. Um, and I know you're actively um, working with them. But then it's, it's great because what you're saying is based on all of that experience, you're now able to set up shop and help these companies at a high level and uh, bring that experience to bear. But you're being modest when you say you're just working with these small companies because I'm aware of the AAPN, that you're a leader in that organization, but apparently you're also a, a longtime board member of the Footwear Association. Yeah, the American Apparel and Footwear Association. I've been on the board, I believe, since 2011 or 2012, um, and I'm 
I'm very involved in uh, our trade policy committee, our government contracts committee, uh, and I, I help whenever I can on event planning for the AFA. Uh, it's, it's a great group of people and they lobby on behalf of our industry um, uh, wonderfully in Washington. Any other uh, acronyms you want to throw at us of organizations that you're spearheading these days, Ed? I just finished a uh, board meeting for SPISA, where I'll be the incoming uh, board chairman uh, starting in October. Uh, SPISA is the Sewn Products Equipment Suppliers of the Americas, and I've been on the board there for a long time. Um, and I uh, love to just you know, contribute uh, in my spare time, whatever I can, to the welfare of the industry. I'm also on the uh, board and the executive committee of IAF, the International Apparel Federation, and um, looking forward to our first in-person World Fashion Convention coming up in Antwerp, Belgium in November this year. I'd love to be a part of that. I'm not sure I'm up for a trip for uh, to Belgium, uh, uh, but possibly by the time it's happening. That's a lot of activities and your your ability then to see such a broad spectrum of the textile, clothing, apparel, you know, fashion, um, uh, as well as workwear world is astonishing. Um, but, you know, in particular, of course, uh, at the NEOMD, you know, we're interested in what employees are, are, are wearing to work and in that have to wear category, whatever that is. You know, people over the years have asked me, well, how big is the uniform industry? And I, with a smart aleck grin, say, well, just tell me what a uniform is, and then I'll, I'll tell you how big the industry is. Because there's so many things in our industry that you know, you just have to wear. It doesn't necessarily label you as an employee of that organization, but if you're climbing up a pole or you're touching something that's hot or electric or, you know, or you're, you know, working uh, in a warehouse, you know, you're wearing stuff that uh, to me is a uniform. Uh, call it what you want. Uh, call it image apparel. Call it workwear. Call it whatever makes you feel uh, good about what you're wearing. But to me, it's all uniforms. And, and, uh, in in thinking about just the sheer volume of people we outfit, Ed, right? Just tens of millions. He just here in this in the United States and Canada, let alone then all of the countries you're rattling off that you're involved in the, in the in the wider uh, in the worldwide web of companies. Uh, um, so sizing has always been a challenge. So it sounds like you were a bit early on in that game, uh, technology-wise, perhaps at the, uh, you know, a forefront um, early adopter in trying to solve that problem because for the bigger, the bigger the uniform program, the greater the headaches of returns, of, of missizing, of employees not looking correct, of employees not, you know, performing correctly because the garments are not um, sized correctly for their particular build or for their part of the world. So talk to me about um, uh, the company that you had had been involved in, and then talk to me about what's gotten you so excited, because I know you are excited. I've seen posts on, on social media, what you've gotten you so excited about the whole 3D look phenomenon. So when I was running Alvinon um, uh, out of our New York office, Alvinon is a global company uh, with offices in Hong Kong, London, and New York, and uh, we built up a team that advised almost every major retailer and brand you can think of on sizing and fit strategy. But when I go into an introductory meeting, I would always start with, 
I thought I had learned everything I know about fit and sizing when I started in the school uniform industry. School uniforms, we had to make every possible size for kids in kindergarten to eighth grade. Uh, so we had four different height ranges, three different body shapes. Um, and we had narrows and chubbies. That's what we called them back then, probably politically incorrect today. And I moved on to the corporate uniform industry with Angelica. And um, we had, with an airline, you had flight attendants, pilots, ground agents, uh, customer service. And so you had every body type. And, and we solved the problem essentially by throwing SKUs at it. So we had different height ranges, different body shapes, innumerable sizes. Um, and then I was recruited in uh, 1999 to run a tech startup called, originally called madeforme.com. And their mm -hmm. goal was to make custom clothing over the internet for consumers. And if you think about it, this is just pre-bubble bursting uh, in 1999. And these guys thought it was a really good idea. And I came in as the only apparel expert uh, into the company with maybe 22 employees, all really brilliant engineers and, and web designers and marketers. Um, and in six months, I had to shut it down uh, because the idea just wasn't going to work. But we pivoted the company, changed the name to IntelliFit, uh, invented a body scanner that could scan people with their clothes on. We actually licensed the technology from the federal government two months before 9-11. And it's the same technology today, millimeter wave technology that you see when you go into the airport and raise your hands. Had we not licensed it when we did, the security industry was all over that technology two months later. So it was just a you know, serendipitous timing. We created this body scanner and started collecting tons of data. Um, we had clients like Levi's globally. We, Levi's put scanners in every store. Uh, Land's End, Macy's, Gap, uh, American Eagle Outfitters, Lane Bryant, David's Bridal. And all of a sudden we had this really diverse group of people going into malls or stores and, and getting scanned and thinking it was the greatest thing in the world. And we didn't have to pay anybody or incentivize anyone. We just told them what size they were. And they were desperate to find that out because the, everyone knows different brands fit differently. So we collected hundreds of thousands of scans and I began a consulting business with that. And that's what I merged into Alvinon uh, a few years later. And the one thing I learned from the data that really struck me, I thought I learned everything in the uniform industry. You could just throw sizes at it. Well, the fashion industry, you can't just throw sizes at it. You know, you have to be as efficient as possible and in, in five sizes, fit as many people as you can possibly fit. Spandex helps. <laughs> what we found, what I really learned in looking at the data was that people don't grade linearly. Yet, as an industry, we grade bust, waist, and hip linearly across a size range. So, essentially, we're guaranteeing that the shape of an apparel product is the same at a large size as it is at a small size. And what happens is the people at the short end, small end, don't get a great fit. People at the larger end don't get a great fit. And that's really a challenge. Now, the uniform industry does a little bit better than the fashion industry in that they change their grade at certain points to reflect the changes in the body. Um, we're working with um, a great uniform company right now uh, at 3D Look um, that acknowledges that. 
and they have a lot of SKUs, but they understand that the grade needs to change. So um, after running Alvinon um, and running uh, the hospitality division at Angelica, uh, which is now part of Cintas, um, I, I feel like I can give a lot back to the industry. So I feel like I, you know, I've kind of paid my dues and I have a lot to offer and I'm happy to share my knowledge with the industry. You know what's interesting to me? It reminds me a little bit about the more contemporary experience that we're all having with this social media and privacy issues where we're the product, right? So we're we're actually given these tools for free. We go out and we spend our time and we click on things and we read things and we're entertained and we're doing things. And really the product is aggregating that business intelligence and rolling it back up into meaningful items that a company can take action on. And and I'm smiling because that's what you did in the sizing world. So you go to these uh, big box stores, and back then that would have been quite a challenge to get hundreds of thousands of people to step into this booth right, or scanner, whatever the shape of it was, you get all of this intelligence, right, and they we think as consumers, well, this is to benefit me because now I know that my gap genes should be this, and I always thought that, you know, I was that. Um, but really, uh, a huge benefit, circularity-wise, was you just rolling that data together and going back to the brands and saying, "Okay, look what look what we're finding." You know, you thought there was this simple bell curve to the whole thing, and it's not. It's more like this sort of rolling hills, if you will. All right? And am I am I saying it back correctly, Ed? No, no, you're saying it correctly. I, I think the uh, interesting thing uh, with IntelliFit, we created a scanner that could scan people with their clothes on. Um, and right before we got this license from the federal government for this technology, we had experimented with existing body scan technology. It wasn't that sophisticated. There was white light or optical scanners, and there were laser scanners that existed in the 90s. Uh, but people had to get undressed to use them. So uh, one of the things that I wanted to test out was the ability for IntelliFit to put these scanners in malls and I went back to my friends at Angelica. Uh, one of the divisions that I was responsible for was our uh, gaming division. And we had just landed a contract a year after I left to outfit one of the large casinos in Las Vegas. And I said, let me bring my scanner in and let's give these people a choice of being measured manually with a tape measure uh, or getting scanned where no one has to touch them. No one wanted to get undressed and get scanned. So I immediately knew that that technology in the 90s, that wasn't going to work. So that kind of pushed us towards a technology that people didn't have to worry about getting undressed. And because we were giving them what they thought was valuable information in terms of this is the best fitting size for me in this brand, uh, people just lined up in queue to get scanned. Uh, in China, it's a very funny story. When we started scanning people in China at Alvinon, uh, we would put it in the mall and we would give the person a little slip that told them their body shape resembled their favorite movie star, uh, sports star, social media star. And in the U.S. in a mall, we would scan three, four hundred people a day. In China, it was eight hundred to a thousand people a day. They just lined up. They'd stand for two hours. 
So we were able to collect a lot of data very quickly. That is such a great idea to then give me a pop culture reference that I could then feel good about. Like, you know, so because body image is this, you know, it's this huge mental health you know, thing. Uh, and and for for so many of us, right? I mean, I'm of an age that I'm growing, you know, horizontally more than vertically. So so I can totally appreciate if you came back and said that I was, you know, the same fit as this famous person who I might admire, but at least respect. Uh, so that that's brilliant. So fast forward then a little bit, Ed, and now we're to the point where you know, uh, I don't have to go to a scanner. I don't have to take off my clothes. I load this photo of me or I click a button and the computer can take a photo of me. You know, granted, it might have to be X number of photos, front, back, side, right? Think of the, think of the views when you're, you know, you're on an apparel website or a uniform website, you know, they're providing you the views of that garment. So you just have to provide similar views and then they can size you. So fast forward, I mean, it's it must be amazing for you to watch all of this evolve to the points that it's now evolving. And, and, and then how did you happen to then um, hook on with uh, 3D Look? So when I when I stepped down from and uh, Alvinon uh, in uh, 2018, uh, 3D Look approached me and and asked if I would be an advisor. And so I've been an advisor there for three years, intermittently a- answering their questions or ha- trying to solve a problem or a riddle that they were faced with, as they were developing the technology. And um, and, and the reason I agreed to do that is I was very impressed with the team and the technology at an early stage. If you think about it, those IntelliFit scanners that we had were huge, expensive, took up way too much space in a retail store. And so you got good data out of it, but it was impractical. Now everyone's got a smartphone in their hand and and taking that smartphone and being able to capture accurately the same kind of data, rich data on measurements, body shape, body distribution, BMI. Uh, There's a ton of data that can be collected with a photo. And um, I really thought it was brilliant. And about three months ago, um, they have uh, partnered with um, uh, Fetchheimer Brothers and Safariland to do a proprietary app called Expert Fit. And they're about to roll this out and they're in the final stages of testing. And they asked if I would get involved because there were some uniform nuanced issues uh, in the engineering and, and in the algorithms, which they wanted me to take a look at. So I jumped in feet first and uh, I, I've been literally full time since uh, end of March uh, working on this. And it's been, uh, it's, it's number one, it's very gratifying. Uh, I get to uh, work with people. Uh, I, I love the people at Fetchheimer. It's funny that we we have so many friends in common in the industry over the years. And I love working with the, this young engineering team that's just brilliant at uh, 3D Look and trying to put the two together and, and, and create something that uh, the uniform industry has struggled with forever. Uh, and that is how do you acquire someone's preferred size? Uh, and it's it's the uniform not only has to fit it has to make that person look professional and provide them with self-esteem. And if it doesn't fit properly, it's not going to do those two things. And for most companies, you mentioned image apparel. Back in 1997, 
we officially changed the name of Angelica Uniform Group to Angelica Image Apparel um, because we wanted to reflect the fact that uh, this is about a company's image to the, to the public, um, to their customers. And that image is, is absolutely critical. I had a chance recently to talk with another longtime NAUMD member and friend, Chris Colopy, um, and we were sharing stories about, um, about how important image and self-esteem were. And it's not just about functionality and it's not just about fit. Um, so uh, it's gratifying to be back in and, and helping with all of those things, the aesthetic, the personal feel of, of being, uh, having that uniform fit be functional and make me feel proud about what I'm doing. hundred percent. I, I very much appreciate also the nuance that you said about uh, preferred fit, right? So there's, there's, there's this concept that, you know, um, that it's just a measurement, but so much of it is a feeling as well. And we as an industry really promote because we believe the uh, uniform elevates the employee, that it not only is good for the company, but the employee uh, feels that they're part of a team. The employee feels uh, self-respect. The employee feels like they're getting respect from uh, the public. You know, they're recognized. They're considered instantly an expert. You know, you put somebody in any position that they have in a uniform and immediately that's who you go to to ask questions so they are they are immediately an expert and i think a lot of uh, people don't appreciate the power of of that that if we are what we wear you know who do we become immediately when we put on a uniform i, I built a speech uh, a couple of years ago around the different types of fit and this all emanated from a project that i did for Nike. Uh, I helped develop Nike's global fit standards uh, in 07, 08, and 09. And uh, they invited me back to give a talk to their teams about uh, technical versus aesthetic fit. And um, I built this talk around the fact that there is technical fit, which is what uh, the product measures out to. It's what a technical designer wants to build in terms of consistency and grade rules. There's uh, aesthetic fit, which is what a designer wants that product to look like. And there's, there's commercial fit, which is what a merchant thinks will sell versus the competition. Uh, and then I, I built the talk around that. And at the end of the talk, one of the executives from Nike raised his hand and said, you missed the fourth one. I said, what's that? He said, political fit. We have that here at Nike. Meaning when you go into, when you, when, when you go into a fitting, Everyone has their opinion. And depending on where you are on the pecking order, you know, the chief merchant gets to say, no, 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 it's got to fit like this. So they overrule the technical designer. And that's that's what they call the political fit. The fact that interesting. Yeah, it's office politics, not yeah, not not red states and blue states. So one of the things that I'm I'm fascinated with and, and as a consultant, I thought you know, I would I would ask you about this since you work with so many companies, you advise so many companies, you're in contact with so many companies, you're hearing their stories at these trade associations you're so active in, and the uniform industry, like we we get these. It's not like fashion where okay, you know, I'm only as good as what I how I did last season. 
uh, in the uniform industry, I win accounts and then they're mine to lose, right? I got to screw up to lose them or somebody has to come in with just such a better story that, you know, that I lose them. But typically it's, you know, it's because I screw up and that's how I lose them. Uh, which which then forces our industry to think in a little bit more of a commodity term because, you know, we've just got these products and we're churning and we're turning, right? We're turning our inventory. So how do you advise, you know, average companies these days? And you said, you even said earlier on, you're kind of more interested in working with the emerging companies. How do you, how do you advise companies that are perhaps at a tipping point how do you advise them to differentiate what, you know, in, in this industry that's half commodity, half custom? So when I started b back advising uniform companies uh, after 20 years of being out of the industry, um, I, you know, I joked that I, I felt like Al Pacino in Godfather 3. I, I thought I was out, but they dragged me back in. Uh, <laughs> the one thing I noticed is that the uniform industry companies that I spoke with or worked with were pretty far behind the curve compared to fashion companies when it came to technological innovation. And uh, there are ways to be more efficient at everything you do from the design process to the product development process, to the uh, sampling process, to the fitting process, um, where technology today can allow a company to save money and be more competitive. Um, and I, the companies that I've spoken to are just at the beginning of that journey. And I think they can, they can accelerate that journey without a lot of expense and, and, and find their way to more internal efficiency and more supply chain efficiency. And when they do that, it, it just opens up all kinds of possibilities for them to not only be more competitive, but to appeal to what their customers are interested in and, and, their customers are interested in sustainability today. I don't hear a lot of uniform companies talking about it, but but their customers are talking about it. I there are a lot of companies that are uh, interested in traceability, in ethical labor practices, um, and transparency in the supply chain. And I don't see a lot of transparency in in uniform supply chains today. I mean, some the big companies do that. But smaller to mid-sized companies may not have the ability, at least they don't seem to have the ability to, to be as transparent. Um, so I think that those are some areas that uh, if a uniform company could focus on those areas and uh, commit leadership thought, uh, thought leadership rather, to, to that, I think they'll find great advantages that will make them more competitive um, and, and get them to appeal to their customers more intimately. Yeah, I really, I really like that answer. Um, it's, you know, when we think, it it also makes me think generationally somewhat, right? So, uh, what would uh, younger generations? We won't label them even. We don't have to, right? But just think in in, in binary terms: younger generations versus older generations. Um, the 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 planet, sustainability, recycling. Um, our watershed. I mean, everything uh, is is so much more front and center to a younger uh, mind. And equally, uh, I'm, I'm drawing also a through line in technology because 
all of these digital natives are now coming to an age where they're either in our own companies or they're in buying positions all across the board and they grew up um, leaning on technology as a given. And so, um, you know, so much of an apparel manufacturer's process um, is old school. What's the biggest complaint I hear from a, a manufacturer or a dealer distributor uh, of any size? I can't find sewers, right? I can't find sewers. I can't find a seamstress. You know, they, they're, you know, they're just like, if you and I, Ed, could come up with a college, you know, to train people to be seamstresses, um, you know, we could place them all day long upon graduation. So, to me, that's really interesting that those are the two things that you're catching or latching onto for that question of saying, well, you want to differentiate, look at what's coming, not what's here. Look at what's coming. What's coming is continued technology change. And what's coming is a major focus on sustainability because that's what the younger generations are going to insist on. Well, that's one of the things that attracted me to 3D Look uh, is that there's a technology that is frictionless, it's contactless, uh, it's going to save a uniform company or a manufacturer or a distributor a, a lot of time and money in the back and forth process of, of fitting. Um, mm. And it's going to give them uh, intimate knowledge uh, of who their customers are with uh, anonymized aggregated data. So it'll help me understand, am I making my size 8 or my size 34 correctly? Or, or are my proportions off? Uh, is my grading wrong? Uh, and so there's all kinds of benefits to come out of the, that technology. And then take that inside the organization to their design and product development area. There are 3D product development tools that have been around for a dozen years now that are, they're still not widely uh, used in the fashion industry, but COVID changed all that. The advance of, of 3D product development tools with fashion companies in the last year, when people had to work remotely, has just skyrocketed. And I, I really want to see uniform companies adopt that. So they're developing virtual samples instead of physical samples and saving money in the process and especially time uh, and being able to give a customer more options than in a shorter period of time than less options. Think, and, and then you take it one step further into the supply chain uh, and into the factory. And there are shop floor control systems today that can make that factory significantly more efficient. Um, so there, there's a lot of technologies out there that, that we, we haven't taken advantage of yet. Uh, back in the day, Angelica at, the, at, at one point in time was the largest user of Eton unit production systems in the country uh, because we, we had 22 factories all in the South producing everything from food service to scrubs uh, in our washable hospitality division and uh, unit production systems made us significantly more efficient than going offshore for some period of time. Um, and I, I don't see widespread usage of those technologies because people are just chasing cheaper labor where they're not automating. And so I can go to Pakistan, for instance, or I can go to Bangladesh. And why, why automate when I can get my, you know, my sewers making $26 a month? So. Those days are over of, of, of doing that. And, and we're going to see, I think, a sea change in the way companies in the uniform industry and elsewhere think about ethical labor practices, 
sustainability, transparency, and, and traceability. One thing that's bouncing around in my head based on what you were talking about, of course, is also the whole concept of on-demand uh, manufacturing. So, you know, wouldn't that, isn't that the ultimate, you know, Garden of Eden where this data would come in that has these points that a 3D look can provide? And then immediately based on that, um, you know, and we have elements of that, right? So, okay, let's just keep all of the pants unhemmed. We'll hem them as, as we go, right? Now we've saved X percent of, you know, of SKUs needed, um, but we still don't, haven't solved the waste problem. Uh, we, we won't apply emblems and patches and, and we will use direct embroidery because, you know, now that'll just be faster. All we got to do is slap the shirt in the right position and the machinery, the software will take care of the rest of that. And, you know, and then I'm, I'm terrified of Amazon's merch program because, you know, they're shipping, you know, a million t-shirts a day or whatever it is. And, you know, and how long before they figure out they can use, you know, they can do that with button down Oxford shirts and polos and, and what have you. I wonder if really the ultimate, you know, is, heck, I'll go even further, Ed. It's the, the um, thing in Star Trek where you go and you get your food and you push a button and the, and the food instantly is created by this, you know, 3D printer in, you know, but really it's probably like 5D in the Star Trek world. And so, you know, is that where we're headed? That really this data points would come in and an apparel manufacturer is simply just taking textiles or pulp or fibers and, you know, instantly, you know, creating a garment and it and, and then it goes in a box and is shipped. Yeah, I, I think ultimately, um, I've said this in speeches about about the fashion industry, but it applies equally to the uniform industry that, you know, 10, 15 years from now, we're going to be three 3D printing uh, clothing. We'll probably have uh, a subscription service like iTunes, where we can download styles that we like, print them out. And when we're tired of them or they don't fit anymore or they're out of style, we just recycle them and use that material to print a new style. Um, and I think ultimately that's the sustainable clothing solution uh, that we're going to see, um, hopefully in my lifetime. Um, and uh, but to get there, there's there are all these on-demand models today, which make an awful lot of sense. I, I give a guy named Charlie Snyder at, at, at Angelica a lot of credit for this, but um, I would sell a major airline program, and as I mentioned, to solve the fit problem, we would throw SKUs at it. So we had four different height, uh, three different body shape sizes, and the permutation came out to, in the case of one airline, 192 size SKUs. And <laughs> the brilliance that Charlie brought to the table was that we only kept the 10% of those sizes that turned regularly in stock. So the previous supplier had almost a million dollars worth of inventory to service the account. We had about $200,000 worth of finished goods inventory. And he set up this modular manufacturing uh, operation with Gerber single ply cutters in Medley, Florida, right next to the Miami airport. And when an order would come in uh, for one of those 90% of the sizes that we did in stock, he could turn it in 24 hours and have it on a plane going to that the domicile of that particular airline. And because the liability that we were gonna hold the airline accountable to was so much lower 
And we could lower our prices at the same time because we weren't carrying this inventory back when interest rates were so high. Yeah. It made us very competitive and uh, it was just a great business model. Jump forward to today, I think there are a lot of opportunities to domestically, or at least in the Americas, uh, do on-demand product. There's a company in Atlanta called Tegra uh, that uh, was a startup built by Nike and Apollo Capital Management to build all of Nike's team uniforms within 14 days. So they set up a, a great design studio, uh, a great product development team in uh, North Carolina and in Georgia. Uh, they have factories in Honduras and Nicaragua. And they turn custom team orders for Nike and now for Under Armour in less than 14 days. So there's an on-demand model that there's no finished goods inventory sitting around. Fanatics with Major League Baseball uniforms does the same thing in Easton, PA, right up the road from me. So th there are examples that we can look to in the uniform industry of on-demand production. And you can, you can just hear the costs, you know, <laughs> leaking out the door because, yeah, because it, it makes so much more sense. You're not building the wrong product. You're not obsoleting product and you're giving the customer what they want when they want. So then the only piece left to that is scale. So in other words, you have to be able to produce enough garments in a day on demand in order to make it work. I mean, because the only reason we've we've been deep and wide as an industry in our inventory is because um, we we got to get that employee, you know, in that apparel in 48 hours. We can't tell them, you know, how many clients have you talked to and said, it's going to take how long to get that container here? Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah, I think that the days of supply chains that, that reach around the world are, 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 are if not coming to an end, they're, it, we're going to diminish that. And because there are so many resources in this hemisphere with, uh, duty-free CAFTA, uh, USMCA, Columbia Free Trade Agreement. Uh, there's so many opportunities to produce uh, what I call in proximity. Mm. And logistics help. I mean, you can just see what Amazon's doing with logistics today and, and realize that uh, you can build a business model around a just-in-time business for uniforms, I think, that can be uh, as competitive, if not more competitive, uh, when you take all the factors into consideration than, than sourcing from Asia. The other thing I mentioned about traceability, that we have this huge issue. If you're getting 6535 poly cotton trousers out of China today, where's that cotton coming from? How mm. do you know it's not coming from the Uyghur autonomous region, region and using forced labor? Uh, you mm. don't know because there is no traceability today. The fashion companies, PVH, Gap, are, are all throwing a ton of resources at this to, to find where that cotton is coming from. Um, and so I, I, I think there's a, a, a whole bunch of factors that are coming to bear on our industry that are going to force us to rethink the way we did business for the last 60 years. And, uh, and I think it's all good. I think it's all moving us in a better direction. Will technology solve all of that? How do we solve all of that? Uh, part of it's technology. Part of it's looking at where technology can help. But part of it is just rethinking the business model, uh, starting from scratch and, and, and looking at, take a blank sheet of paper and say, okay, uh, what does my customer really want? What does my customer really need? And if you build a customer centric business model, you might find that there are so many elements in your business today that don't contribute to that. And 
it's basically like taking the principles of lean manufacturing and applying them to your business, whether you're a distributor, a manufacturer. Um, and, and if you apply those same principles of lean manufacturing to your business, would you be doing things the same way tomorrow that you do them today? And the answer is probably not. But we're a stubborn species. I mean, we're just <laughs> stubborn. So I started reading this book. I'm looking on my phone here to make sure I'm getting it right. It's called Think Again by Adam Grant. And I just started it, so I can't speak intelligently about uh, his premise. But but the main concept is, well, how do you allow yourself to think again? To say, you know what? Maybe that first instinct I have, um, you know, uh, needs to be rethought. And he's throwing data in the beginning here. He started. He's throwing data out that you know traditionally we've thought if you're in a like a SAT or some you know high level exam, and your instinct said this was the answer, don't go back and rethink it, right? That and they've. And, and he's like a mythbuster approach. He's saying, no, there's these studies now coming out saying, no, if you then uh, rethink it more often than not, your new thought is actually the correct one, not your initial gut reaction to what the answer should be. Or, you know, so um, that's a really powerful thing you're talking about is that um, we see that the writing is on the wall for traceability, sustainability, um, and and that technology has to be forefront or we will just lose to the companies and the parts of the world that are embracing it. And uh, without um, thinking again, um, we won't be able to adapt um, and, and uh, change to match these these new found values and, and, and goals, really. Am I saying it back correctly? I, I, I absolutely. Uh, but I think you know. You mentioned how stubborn we are. I, I think we can recruit different points of view. We can recruit people with different skill sets. You know, you don't have to have graduated from FIT or FITM uh, to contribute in a product development department. You could graduate with a degree in computer science and contribute, and 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 you'd be looking at things in a completely non-traditional way and provide uh, a, a truly valuable perspective to your company, to your team. I, I think we're looking for recruits sometimes in the wrong places. I think we're not willing to accept uh, different ways of looking at things. Uh, and I, I think we're looking not nearly enough at other industries. When I, when I mentioned shop floor control systems, they've been in place for 25, 30 years in aerospace, in, in automotive, in furniture. And they've created so much factory efficiency; they pay for themselves instantly. And uh, in apparel factories, they are few and far between. And that it, it just bothers me because you can accomplish an awful lot um, in this country. You know, I know a lot of Barry Amendment uh, compliant suppliers in this country, and I often ask, you know, have you looked at a, a shop floor control system? There's a couple of really good ones out there, not terribly expensive, but they train and empower the operators in the factory um, and they educate the operators and, and they remove uh, inefficiencies throughout the entire production process and very few people taking advantage of them. And I think we, you know, I looked at the PPE situation last year where companies came to me and asked, you know, 
can I get my factory back to work if I'm producing medical gowns? And I helped a couple of companies connect the dots and, and, and do just that. But for us to be, and now we have the Biden administration uh, focused on, uh, along with people like NICTO, um, uh, focused on making the Berry Amendment extend to critical medical supplies. And um, that should create jobs if the government is willing to commit long-term to our industry. Um, and it should help the uniform industry significantly, I would think. Um, but um, it's not gonna help us if we don't invest in automation and in the latest technologies to make our, our businesses more efficient. I like that you also brought in the whole recruiting angle. And the last thought I want your opinion on <laughs> is, would you recommend this you know, to this industry, the uniform industry, because I know you touch many, everyone thinks the clothing industry is just one big giant industry, but we really have so many niches within our worlds. But specific to the uniform industry, would you recommend this industry to recent college graduates, to uh, your children, grandchildren, to uh, your neighbor's uh, kids? What, what do you think about the uniform industry as a future uh, uh, world for people? I, I think it is the one of the most significant opportunities for a young person to make a huge impact. If you go into Microsoft or Google or Facebook and you're a brilliant engineer, you know, are you going to make a huge impact on those companies? Um, if you go to work for Goldman Sachs, are you going to make a huge impact on that company uh, or Ford Motor Company? Uh, company? If you go into the uniform industry and you're bright and inventive, uh, the world is your oyster. You have a chance to really help a company move into the 21st century and beyond. And I think there's more opportunities in uh, a stubborn, resistant to change industry than there is in any other industry. So would I recommend it? Yeah, I, I, you've got to be smart. You've got to be creative. You've got to be resilient. And then you've got to be willing to push a company to take risk. And if you can do those things, the uniform industry is a great place to be. I love that answer, Mr. Edward Gribben. That is fantastic. So um, what's the what's uh, your website for the consulting biz? Uh, it's uh, www.gribbenstrategic.com. Excellent. And then, of course, 3D Look. 3dlook.me. 3dlook.me. So glad that they actually suggested you. Uh, to be a guest here on The Uniformer. And Ed, I appreciate you taking the time. It was such a pleasure to talk to you today. Rick, thank you so much. And uh, I'll, I'll stay in touch. Thanks.